Hello and welcome to the After Sermon Podcast, where we learn all about a Bible topic, character, or concept. And today we're learning about the case of Cain and Abel as we study the sermon, Prophetic Blood, Divine Love. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. And so God is running after us in justice to motivate us to run towards his son, towards the city of refuge, to be spared from judgment. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and then not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Hi, my name is Christopher, and ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat, because today we have with us in our very fine studio, Mr. Michael Godfrey. Hey guys. Now, uh, we have taken a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, that is what exam time will do to you. <laughs> but we are glad to be back, uh, <laughs> admittedly, um... It took, what, like two tries to get that intro right yeah, before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're being very self-aware at the moment. This is what happens when uh, you uh, you need to get back up on the bike, you know? Mm. You might have a spill or two, but you get there. So yeah. bear with us as we begin that learning curve of episode one all over again. Technical difficulties. <laughs> nah, it'll be good. We have in store for us, I think, a really interesting topic, and I'm really keen to be able to go deeper into this already really profound subject that we have today. Agreed. So, let's get into our recap. But just before we do, if you haven't watched the sermon, Prophetic Blood, Divine Love, go to the link below and come back here later because this podcast is full of spoilers. With that out of the way, let's go into the recap. So, the sermon begins by asking the question, Did Cain really murder Abel? It's the oldest murder case in human history. Surely, there isn't any new evidence to be found. But as we revisit the scene of the crime in Genesis chapter 4, we begin to realise that there is more to this case than meets the eye. To begin with, conjectural evidence points to the fact that no one in human history has ever died before. It is unknown what can and cannot kill another human being, and so Abel's death may have been an accident. In which case, Cain did not commit murder, but manslaughter. So next we examine the legal evidence. God says in Genesis chapter 9 verse 6 that whoever sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed. In other words, a life for a life. And yet when God punishes Cain, he doesn't take his life. Instead, he offers Cain refuge. Now this is fascinating, because we read in Joshua 20 that God told his people to establish cities of refuge. And these cities were designed to protect those who had accidentally committed manslaughter. They were to be protected from the avenger of blood, taking their life in retribution. So now we have legal evidence to confirm that Cain's punishment matches the crime not of murder, of manslaughter. We've solved the case of Cain, but the most confronting part hasn't come just yet, because now we're asked to examine our own case. Jesus actually described himself as being a better prophetic fulfillment of Abel. And so if Jesus represents Abel, who does that make Cain? Well, Cain would have to be all of us, because if we had not sinned, Jesus would have never had to die. And so here we see a beautiful image of God's love. We kill Jesus on the cross, but then we turn around and Jesus tells us to run into the city of refuge, of which is also symbolic of himself. Jesus offers us protection in him for the crime of killing him. That is not human love, that's divine love. And even the avenger of blood, who in tradition was the nearest of kin to the deceased, even his motivation is love. Think about this, if we kill Jesus, his nearest of kin would be his father. And so God is running after us in justice, but not so that he can catch us, but instead to motivate us to run towards his son, towards the city of refuge, to be spared from judgment. And just like the father of the prodigal son in Luke, when we run towards the city, God runs out to us and he brings us home. And so when we look at the case of Cain, 
And when we look at the case of every one of us, we see that no matter where you go in your life, God's love will be chasing after you. And that is the meaning of prophetic blood and divine love. Amen. All right, so let's get into our personal takeaways. Michael, what did you think of this sermon? What did you get out of it? I got plenty out of this sermon. It was a really unique topic. It's something that I haven't heard before. Obviously, pastors touch on that, the the similar topic, the topic of God's love, God's divine love that isn't like a human love, but um, this way you just put it in such a unique way that it was extremely powerful. You've got this picture of God as the one that's um, obviously chasing you towards the city because we're the ones that killed Jesus in a similar to way, similar way to the to Cain killing Abel, mm. not in a sense of murder, but in a sense of manslaughter. You know, the things that we've done, that the, the sins that we've committed, we deserve. We deserve to die, and we've in a sense killed Jesus because He's taken our punishment. We deserve the judgment. God's pushing us towards the city, but then Jesus is also um, running towards us and and um, pulling us in towards the city of refuge. He's made a way out for us. Mm. He's offered us refuge. It's such a profound idea. And I think that the way that it was all structured, Chris put it really, really well. He just made it really clear and easy to understand. It was just step one, step two, step three. Uh, And even the argument with Cain, we have plenty of evidence in the Bible to support that. It wasn't just, it wasn't just Chris saying, you know, this is my idea and it's a pretty cool idea. He was like, I've looked at the Bible and, uh, you know, I've looked at supportive readings and this is, this is what I think this is saying. And, uh, and definitely then to be able to apply that to to our lives, not only just as a story, but as um, something that we can take away from it, that was really powerful. So, hmm. yeah, really good. No, I'm really glad you got um, something out of it. It's always a blessing to hear that, uh, yeah, somebody got something out of yeah. your little small message. But I think, yeah, for me, the big personal takeaway is just that um, if you've seen the uh, the sermon, and I encourage you, uh, again, even if uh, you don't want to listen to it in its entirety, we just gave the recap, but I strongly encourage maybe in the last five minutes or so, mm. uh, there's this final slide that I showed. And yep, it yep. basically is described, it is basically visually demonstrating this idea of God's love being around you no matter where you go in life. And that to me is the the, the most profound part of it all. Just that, that image of God running after you on either side so yes, yeah, so you have God running after you on either side, and you have Jesus on either side of God at the cross, and then also as your city of refuge, and then, uh, and then even uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts you that you need to go to the city of refuge. God is that kind of motivation, right? Uh, you know, running behind you, but it's really the Holy Spirit that convicts us that we are in the wrong. Um, so you see this whole image of every person in the Godhead coming together and basically doing everything possible in order to get us into that city of refuge. Mm. And again, you just can't really express that love. Like, uh, as much as you can talk about it, you really can't express it because it's, it's, it's beyond our human understanding. It, it really is divine love at its, uh, purest, in its purest form. So... Yeah, that to me really gets me. And just seeing that, that image of God and Jesus being everywhere, no matter where you yeah, turn. Yeah, you can't escape it. You can't get away from it. It's God's exactly. literally doing everything he can. Exactly. And so, to me, it kind of almost says, like, how, how foolish are we when we reject yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. God's like, I'm, I'm everywhere. I really, I want you so bad to get into that city. And so it's so foolish of us to to just stand and stop walking, you know, mm. and let the judgment come. Um, as we'll see, we'll go a bit more into this idea of God and the avenger of blood. Mm. But yeah, God doesn't want it. To, God does not want for us, uh, for him to catch up to us. He doesn't want us to just stop and stand still in the middle of the road. He's like, no, 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 run, get to safety. I really want you there. That's right. And I also liked how you, how you pointed out that judgment is also an act of love. Yes. Uh, it's fascinating. We don't often see it that way, but, um, that's it. Even, yeah, God's judgment is fueled by his love. It's, again, human-wise, we're just like, ah, that's such a difficult concept to grasp. Mm. But again, that's, that's divine love at its core. Mm. All right, well, let's get into the main meat of the podcast, 
the cutting room floor. Michael, what is the cutting room floor? Well, the cutting room floor is the segment where we discuss the parts of the sermon that didn't make it into the final cut, and we break them down. Nice. So, we're going to begin with something that I find particularly interesting, and this is the idea of the high priest. Now, when you read in Joshua uh, chapter 20, and I think uh, the, the idea of a city of refuge is also mentioned somewhere else in Deuteronomy. Uh, I don't have it on me, so just Deuteronomy, city of refuge, Google that, mm-hmm. find it easy. But in one of these two texts, uh, it is mentioned that, let's say, uh, I accidentally kill someone, commit manslaughter, and I run to the city of refuge, uh, and the avenger of blood, their nearest of kin, is coming after me. Now, as long as I stay in the city, they can't do anything to me, right? I'm safe in the city. Um... But the problem is I'm stuck in the city now. Mm. Uh, how am I going to get out? And so uh, there's a way of ensuring that you're allowed to get out of the city. So there's a, a method uh, designated to, to indicate when it is safe to then go out. And that is when the high priest of the city dies. Wow. So when the high priest of the city dies you are then allowed, that is then like the indicator for everyone in the community and for the Avenger of Blood that you are able to go uh, out of the city safely now. Now, why might that be interesting, do you think, Mr. Godfrey? I think it's interesting because in the Bible it talks about Jesus being our high priest. It's in Hebrews, isn't it? Yes. And I'm wondering to myself, I'm like, man, this is like... It's crazy, yeah, I just this picked is, up on it. Yeah. yeah, this is a picture of Jesus in an already picture yeah. of Jesus. Like, there are so many levels to this. So, yeah, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Um, and we begin to see... First of all, uh, we're going to assume that this is Paul, just so we don't have to say the author of Hebrews. Because mm-hmm. the, the, the author of Hebrews never says his name, but it's generally thought it's Paul. So we're going to sit with Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so let's, Paul starts off by describing why is it that the old covenant and the old priests didn't work? Why is it that we need Jesus as a high priest? Let's Mm. figure that out first before we go into what this symbolism really means. All right, so we're going to Hebrews chapter five, Hebrews chapter five, if you're not in your car and you want to follow along, starting in verse one. All right, and here's what the text says. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. Mm. So this is one of the main problems that we find with the the priests of the old covenant uh they can sacrifice for the people but they've also got to give sacrifices for themselves mm. they in and of themselves are still not perfect because they're human but then we come to Jesus and Jesus is different he's the high priest of the new covenant which he creates at the cross at his death um and under this new covenant he he doesn't have to provide sacrifices for his own sins because he has none instead he just provides a sacrifice for us so here's what it says in hebrews chapter 7 verses 26 through to 28 that's hebrews chapter 7 verses 26 through 28 if you want to read along with us for such a high priest that is jesus was fitting for us who is holy harmless undefiled separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this Jesus did once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. So yeah, we have this indication that Jesus is better because he provides this sacrifice once and for all, mm. and he doesn't have to do it for himself, but just for the sinners. Um, if you want to learn a bit more about Hebrews, we've looked quite in depth at the topic in episode four, Buy High, Sell Low. Uh, that's myself and co-host James. 
Um, so if you're interested in getting to more into Hebrews, I'd recommend going back and reading that. So yeah, we have this idea that Jesus is a high priest. He mediates on our behalf. And once again, what is he mediating for? Um, the fact that we killed him. Mm. <laughs> so, so yeah, we put Jesus on the cross uh, because of our sins. And then Jesus acts as our mediator, high priest, and says, No, it's okay. They're fine. Um, I'm on their side. And you're just thinking to yourself, What on earth? <laughs> Why are you on my side? Mm. Um, I haven't done anything good. Um, and yet Jesus is there standing for us. So again, we have this idea of Jesus as the high priest. And it's at the death of the high priest, the death of Jesus, that you are saved. You can then go out of the city of refuge and be no longer be afraid of judgment, which is, yeah, that's some hectic symbolism inside a symbol already there. Um, and the meaning, the reason why uh, the death of the priest was so significant was that it was believed that, um, at least by the Jewish people in Jewish tradition, I, I don't, I'm not sure if um, this is what God was trying to convey when he made this. I think he was alluding to Jesus. Mm. But the Jewish people of the time believed that the death of a holy person uh, could atone for the, your sins. Okay. And so because the high priest was seen as, you know, the most devout and pious of the community, uh, his death was seen as, okay, he has provided atonement, you can then go out. Sure. Whereas we would say uh, the death of that high priest is a symbol of the death of Jesus, yeah, our high priest. Yeah, it's pointing forward, that's right. Yeah, it's pointing yeah. forward. So Jesus, our high priest, makes atonement for us. Mm, mm. Um, so yeah, uh, Jesus is not only at the cross, he's also our city of refuge, and he's also the high priest mm. in the city of refuge, working mm. for us. So, yeah, it's this really in-depth symbolism uh, that we see in this text. Uh, I think it's also interesting as well, we're going to go into our next topic, which is faith versus works. Uh, I think this is a great example of demonstrating how you can't work your way to salvation. Um, there's nothing you can do to appease the avenger of blood. <laughs> They're coming after you. Um, all you can do is run away. If you try and stop to negotiate or bargain, they'll just go, no, I'm, I'm here for blood. I, I'm here for justice. So yeah, you can make the decision to run towards the city of refuge, but you don't ultimately do any of your own saving. It's the, re it's the city, you know, or the high priest, which offers you protection. Mm. Um, and we know that both of those are symbols of Jesus. So it's only through Jesus and his works that we can be found um, to be saved. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through to 9. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and then not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Hmm. It's interesting, hey, how Paul says, you can't do this through works. Um, it, it's only through faith. And then no one can boast about it because you haven't done anything mm, exactly. <laughs> to get there. Yeah, and it says in another passage, that our righteousness is like filthy rags. There's literally nothing that we can, yeah, and we can show for. I, I like that idea that even, even your good works are tainted. Um, so yeah, yeah. in the same way that uh, we can't do anything not as Australians. We're Australian citizens, so everything we do, you do as an Australian. Mm. In the same way, you're a citizen to the kingdom of sin. We're all born in the kingdom of sin. So everything you do, you do as a sinner. Mm. Um, so yeah, even like your good works are tainted by that bad citizenship of being in sin. Um, so yeah, that's a really, really good example that's true, but can, can I say something else? On the flip side, oh, shoot. On the flip side, you're also an ambassador for Christ. That's true. So just like being an Australian citizen, if an Australian citizen went to a foreign country and committed a crime, mm. in that country, the newspaper article would read something... They wouldn't just say some random guy commits a crime. They'd say an Australian citizen has committed a crime yeah. in that country. You're representing someone. Yeah. So what we're saying here is that it's not that good works aren't important, it's that they can't save you. 
Yes. It's an important distinction. Exactly. So, actually, let's go straight into our next passage, Romans 2, uh, 17 through 24. That fits perfectly uh, into this idea that we're talking about. All right. So, Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24, it says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do not teach yourself. You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Mm. Ah, good man. passage. Paul, he's ripping into them, isn't sure he? Is. <laughs> so, so here's what's um, the context for this passage is the uh, the Jewish population in Rome. They've come up to Paul and they say, "Hey, uh, we keep the law. That means we're saved." Mm. And Paul says, "Okay, well, you have got the law. Statement one is true." Hmm. Uh, he goes, statement three, if you keep the law, you can be saved. He goes, we'll come to that. Let, let's do statement two. We keep the law. And he goes, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and he just rips into them. He says, you guys, you say in the law, you know, it says, oh, do not, do not, don't commit adultery. But he says, look, you guys should commit adultery. Yeah, says, that's right. That says don't steal, but you it guys steal. steal. Yeah. So he says, even if the law could save you, mm. you're not following you're not the law. anyway. That's yeah. Right. But then later on, he goes on to describe that, uh, in fact, no, the law is insufficient to save you. In mm. fact, uh, he says in chapter 7 um, and in chapter 5, verse 20, I think, the, the last passage, the last verse of chapter 5, uh, he says, it's actually the law that exposes your sin. Uh, it does the exact opposite. Um, if there were no law there would be no way for you to sin because there'd be nothing for you to break. Mm. But as soon as you break God's law, you commit a sin. Uh, and so, yeah, while the, the Jewish people were trying to say, oh, look, we keep the law and that's what's going to save us, Paul says, no, 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 no. Um, the law is actually what condemns you because you're found guilty for breaking it. And even if you were to keep the law... Uh, as you said before, Michael, all of your good works are like filthy rags. Right. It's only through the faith in Jesus Christ that you can become an ambassador for him, get out of that kingdom of sin, and then have God look at you as though you were perfect while still being sinful. Mm. Um, and let's just have a look at... Uh, still in the book of Romans, chapter 3... Verses 21 through to 28. This is a great summary of what Paul is referring to um, as far as faith goes and the importance of having faith in Jesus. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his patience God has looked over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It doesn't matter. By what law of what works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Mm. There's a lot to unpack in that passage. Mm, sure is. Um, but he starts off with the premise that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that God offers up his son uh, for us. And he, and he says, in doing so, he looks over the sins which were previously committed. Uh, and as a result of that, where is boasting? Doesn't matter. 
There is none. You can't. You can't. Uh, there is no boasting because, again, it's not your works. It is um, is the works of Jesus. Uh, and then the kind of the last big topic I wanted to look at is this idea that you can choose to leave the city. Mm. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, you may have heard the idea of uh, once saved, always saved. Um, our Calvinist brothers and sisters would ascribe to this, and they have a bit of an acronym. Mr. Godfrey, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know the acronym. I haven't got it written down in the notes, so you can't cheat. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know any of the letters in the acronym? Uh, TULIP? Yes, in the acronym TULIP. TULIP. Uh, or how about you can feel free to make up your own acronym if you <laughs> if you want to. My own acronym. Let's try and figure out tulip. Tulip. Uh, once saved, always saved. Yeah, that's the sentiment behind it. All right. T stands for trust. Okay, trust. No wait. Um, unless. Trust unless. Life, life is is pointless. <laughs> All right, there we go. Um, let's let's make up our own acronym. <laughs> there, uh, so I'm. I apologize, John Calvin, that your acronym got butchered. Tulip <laughs> has now been turned into what was it again? To ah to. Trust, trust, unless life is pointless. Um, that's beautiful. Okay, my my new acronym is Oasas. 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 Eh? That that stands <laughs> for. That stands for once a saint, always a saint. Oh, watch out. Um, that's no, I don't know what tulip stands for. Can you help me out? <laughs> if you want to hear Michael Godfrey's actual word skills, and we recommend yeah, ASP yeah, yeah. episode I've, I've... 17. <laughs> Not to boast, because filthy rags and everything, but <laughs> I, 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 I've got some mean sermon titles, go check that one out. Go yeah, check that one out, link in the below. We got, <laughs> we got like the uh, the Christian... I'm just, I'm just on the spot here, that's all. We got the Christian equivalent of Dr. Zeus here, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Um, but yeah, so Tulip, here we go, this is going to test my memory, because... Man, I really should have put it in the notes. Okay, here we go. So T stands for total depravity. Okay. And that is the idea that humans are so corrupt that we don't even seek God. Oh, uh, right. U stands for uh, unconditional election, which yep. is that God chooses certain people to be saved and others to not be saved. L stands for limited atonement. Uh, this indicates that Jesus' death on the cross, his prophetic blood was only atoning for the sins of some people, not everyone. Uh, and those would be the people who he has chosen, uh, that we've talked about in you. Uh, I stands for irresistible grace, and that is the idea that no matter where you run, God's grace will come after you yes, and because you're snatch you up. Yes, mm-hmm. you've been chosen, so God will get, catch you. And then P stands for perseverance of the saints, which is once God has you in that grace... I thought it was perseverance. Yeah, there you are. Um, once saved, always saved. Right. Now, how does that fit into this City of Refuge idea? Uh, well, if we were to do it, this is how the story would play out. Uh, you accidentally kill someone, God starts chasing after you, and God goes, you know what, I like you, so I'm going to choose you. And so God runs out of the city and drags you into the city... Even though you might not have made that choice, yeah, yeah. or you do make the choice, but you you do, but it's but God was still the one who ran out to you and initiated it. That's right. Remember, you can't initiate anything because you're totally depraved, and there was nothing that you could do to. Um... I mean, you were always going to make the choice. Exactly, you were always going to make the choice. So this is this is comes under the teaching of predestination, mm. the idea that uh, this choice has already been made for you. Uh, so then, contrarily, on the other side, uh, some people will, you know, accidentally kill someone, and they could be running to the city, maybe. Oh, well, I suppose um, Calvinism would say they're not running because they're totally depraved. But let's just say they're standing, then. Uh, they're, they're just standing in the middle of the road, uh, and God doesn't choose to run after them, because he goes, well, I haven't chosen that guy. Um, that's a very different story to what we see in... Uh, 
uh, the typical understanding of the cities of refuge, mm. we would say that God runs out to you, yes, and he grabs you, but only once you've made the choice to come into the city. And in the same way, if you don't want to come to the city, God will respect that decision and go, okay, I, I've done everything I can to get you here, but you don't want to. So in one view, we see that the choice is in our court. But when it comes to this tulip idea, the choice uh, is in God's court. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't quite match the description of the city of refuge. Tulip, the tulip idea really doesn't fit into the uh, into the city of refuge because again, you can choose to leave the city of refuge. So that indicates that you're not always saved, doesn't it? Um, yes. Yeah. You can go into safety. Yeah. In this analogy, you can go into the city, but then come out. And we're told that once you go out of the city, the avenger of blood can come and get you again. Judgment can come over you. Um, so this analogy literally goes against the very foundations of the TULIP acronym because it suggests that you can go out of the city um, and you can face judgment. So you're not once saved, always saved. You have to stay in the city and stick with the choice that you've made to follow Jesus. Uh, to illustrate this, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 18. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite passages. There is so much uh, in this, this small little passage. Um, the context is God is speaking about holding accountable the sons for the sins of their father. Um, so we're going to read from Ezekiel 18 verses 21 through to 24. All right. It says, but, a, but if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Hmm. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has, which he has done shall not be remembered, because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty, and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall die. Mm. So, we're given these two, two different stories. He says, okay, let's say uh, a wicked person... Uh, decides to follow me, decides to go into the city. He goes, they'll be saved, they'll be fine. Mm. Then he says, okay, what if a good person, who we're assuming is already in the city, um, let's say a good person decides to leave and do wicked. Mm. He says, well, okay, suddenly I'm going to have to forget all the good that they did. Yeah, it says because of them, because of the wicked things, he, he shall die. Exactly. So the, indi the, the implication is, you can go out of the city. It's your choice. It's your choice. And the result of making that choice is the avenger of blood comes and God's righteous judgment is upon you. Um, and I love the fact that Jesus, like, in the, in the middle of that, he just goes, do I get any pleasure from the death of the wicked? Mm. He goes, no, I want you to turn and live. Uh, it's literally God just screaming out, just run to the city and then please just stay in the city, yes, you know? Yes, yeah. Don't, don't leave the city. you got a good gig going on if you're in there. Pretty um, much. And, uh, yeah, to me that really demonstrates this idea that uh, once saved, always saved doesn't work. Now, the idea of once saved, always saved sounds really nice, right? Because it's like, oh, well, I'm guaranteed to always be saved. It's like insurance. It's like insurance. But again, the problem is that in order to get there, you have to recognise that you don't, you never made the choice to be saved. In a way, yeah, yeah. Whereas here, as we read in Ezekiel and see in the city of refuge, um, God says, the choice is yours. Please stay in the city. That's right. And if we, and I think it's pretty easy to determine whether we're still in the city or not, you know? Because uh, if you're following God and you're living to serve him, I'd say it's a pretty good indication that you are in the city, you're mm. safe. Mm. Um, and let's just read verse 32 again. It's pretty similar Verse 32 of the same chapter, yes. it says, For, this is God speaking, For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Yeah. So, kind of reiterating what he said before in that other verse. I just love that. God just calling out, oh, Guys, can you yeah. turn and live, please? Yeah. Um, which, again, is this, you see this overwhelming 
love that God has for his people. That no matter where we go, God is just calling out to us, turn around, live, run towards the city of refuge. Alright, guess what? It's come to that time again. It's trivia time. Trivia time. Alright, our first trivia for the day. Did you know that it is suggested that 2 Kings verses 13 to 35 are examples of people trying to use cities of refuge? Chapters 13 to 35. Oh. Okay, sorry. It's 1 Kings chapter 2 verses 13 to through to 35. Got it. Okay. So here what you see, um, Solomon's just become king and his brother Adonijah and Joab, who tried to make a revolt, they both go to like altars or sanctuaries and they say, please don't kill me. You know, if I'm here, you can't kill me. And uh, although these aren't cities of refuge, it kind of plays into that idea we talked about before that, okay, you have a holy priest, you know, Hmm. and he's pious. You can't, you can't kill someone, you know, when they're pious. Um, And so, people would often go to altars or sanctuaries or religious places because it was like, yeah, you don't really want to kill people near holy places. So, they were kind of seen as places of refuge Refuge. in and of themselves. In fact, um, when you read in the Talmud uh, and some other rabbinical sources, uh, God prescribes for there to be six cities of refuge, but eventually, uh, the Jewish people began to just use every Levitical city, or wherever there were priests, uh, they would be considered as a city of refuge. Mm. Uh, But the trick was that if you weren't one of the original six, you could actually deny someone if you wanted to. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you weren't obligated. So people could run up to you and say, hey, I want refuge, you got a priest in here, right? And they could say, yes, we do. However, we don't like you. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want you. (laughs) Try the next city. Uh, But if you were one of the original six, you were obligated to take people in. Right, okay. Um, Now, Michael, we should should ask this question. Alright. Where did Cain's wife come from? I got your plug at the beginning beginning of the video. You just said something very, very simple that said something like... uh, It went something like, Cain's wife, don't know where she came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm glad someone picked up on that. (laughs) Yeah, what was the line? Yeah. She she said something or other. I was more interested in where she come she from. Come from? That's, the one. That's the one. That's uh, my sick writing skills <laughs> on display right there. So yes, Michael, where where did Cain's wife come from? The all the only people around are Adam, Eve, Abel. He's just dead, and Cain. So how is it he gets a wife? Well, that's a very good question. Do we really believe that there were only four people living on Earth? Well, that's what we appear to think, at least. Because, I mean, if there are only four people living on Earth, and then Cain has just slaughtered his brother, and then Cain says Cain says something along the lines of, um, the, the next of kin, they're going to come after me, they're going to come and kill me, that's why God's offering him refuge. Mm. Where did they come from? Who are they? What next of kin? Aren't there only three people left on the Earth now? What are we... Well, counterpoint. Ooh. Okay, okay. The next of kin could also refer to... Adam. Okay, sure, sure. Because, uh, just just because, like, if you continue the analogy of um, the father coming after you, it makes sense, you know, we killed Jesus, his father comes after us. So they're not like, uh, I shouldn't say next of kin, it's the closest of closest kin. Closest of kin, yeah. okay, sure. Um, but even still, you make a good point, even if there weren't other people immediately there, mm. uh Cain is obviously assuming that his parents are going to have more children. That's right. That's and they'll right. they'll come after him. So that ties into what you were saying. And we're told about uh, we're told about another son that Adam and Eve have called Seth. But doesn't the Bible also mention other brothers and sisters that Cain has? Uh, uh yes. So we're given like a whole genealogy in chapter five. Mm. Yes, chapter five of Genesis. Um, and we're told that yeah, Adam and Eve have heaps more kids after Seth. So they take a little time off. Uh, before having Seth, probably just to grieve. Mm. Um, mm. And then, yeah, they have a whole lot of uh, other kids. Now, if we're thinking about it logically, when you get to the time of Noah, it says the world's completely populated. That's not... Um, it's it's even populated way before then, and there's not that many generations in between them. You'd have to, you'd have to kind of think that there were a lot of people. Um, a lot of... The, the, the couples were having a lot of kids. 
but who did Cain marry? And who did the other kids marry if they were all brothers and sisters? Well, we have to assume that they married each other. Yeah, that's it. Sucks to be them, but yeah. some, someone had to be the first generation. That's right. <laughs> and we look at it and we think, well, that's incest. But I mean, today it would be completely wrong. I mean, there are a lot of problems with it today. And even, even in the time of Noah, there were a lot of problems with it. But, but straight after the fall, when you've got Adam and Eve, and then you've just got their children, they were nearly perfect. And yeah. So you don't have all these problems with birth defects and, and all the rest, all these problems with incestuous relationships. It's, um, I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think mm. that the most likely um, answer to the question, where did Cain's wife come from, is that Cain's wife was one of his sisters. Yeah, I think I think that's, basically, logically, that's what we'd have to assume. Mm. And uh, guess what? This isn't licensed to do that today. We obviously don't have that problem today. Definitely not. Please don't do that today. No. Um, We're not but... condoning this on our, on our show, <laughs> on our podcast. Not at all. But when, when you do have just, you know, Adam and Eve and their kids... Uh, you don't the, really have much choice, do you? The only solution that you have right there is to do that. And so, mm. in a very, very, very unique circumstance, it was permissible just to get the human population up and running. So, yeah, Cain's wife was probably just... Uh, one of his sisters. Yeah. Um, I always find it weird, though, like, not that part so much, but the fact that one of these sisters went out to go and find Cain. Mm. Um, because he went off and he established his own little area, you know. And... That is interesting. Why yeah. Why would you go... Oh, man, this would have been a great point of evidence in my sermon. I'm going <laughs> to use this for next time. If Adam and Eve had just straight up told uh, their kids, one of, your, one of your brothers murdered their younger brother. Yeah. Who in their right mind is going to go, go, oh, I'm going to go and marry, I'm going to go marry Cain, the, the murderer. murderer. <laughs> but if they told him, this is a tragic accident that happened in our family. Yeah. That Cain accidentally killed Abel. Then you feel a bit more sympathetic towards you him. Do. yeah. And you'd, maybe one of those sisters just thought, you know, try and reconcile this relationship or whatever, you know, they just heard this story. Cain would almost be like this, this legend, you know told to the uh, to their kids because it's implied that they never really saw each other again afterwards so to me that actually makes more sense um, I think so yeah 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 not that Adam and Eve told their kids Cain the murderer but here's a tragic story and then one of those people just went you know what I'm gonna go find out I'm gonna find this person and see how they're doing you know mm. <laughs> give them a hug they probably need a hug after all they these years do, of loneliness yeah, yeah so. and, and no fertile soil yeah yeah <laughs> it would have been tough it would have been really tough so yeah that is your trivia for this podcast just one more question oh go for it to what extent do you think god looked after cain if cain couldn't get anything to grow in the ground how would he have food out there by himself yeah i'd say perhaps he had to, you know, do some hunting maybe. Sure. Get some animals and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe... I think God... Because at that point, apart from animals, the only thing that they really have to eat, you know, are crops and stuff. That's right. So, perhaps... Because it, it almost seems like Ken had almost like a spiritual gift or something. Who knows? It, it seems like that, yeah. Because we're told he was really good at what he did. Mm. So, you know, uh, maybe God just gave him the bare necessities so as opposed to like these huge overflows of crops and all these things yeah like you know what you'll just get like enough to get by because sure yeah if you read it as literally as nothing you ever plant will ever grow Mm. ken would be dead very quickly very soon yeah but if it was more like the soil was gonna be barren you'll grow the bare minimum well it's it's a massive punishment but it'll i mean he'll survive yeah uh, it says in 4, four verse 12, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. Strength, okay. So, uh, I'd be interested to see what other translations say. Yeah. But uh, that that almost indicates, like, it's not going to have the same... The same... Oh, what's the word? It's not going to bear as much as it used to when, mm. you know, you, you used to garden. It's not going to give its strength. It's going to give its bare necessity mm. <laughs> to keep you going. So, that's right, that's right. And I think that would make sense as well, because God promises to protect him. So obviously God is thinking in a long-term perspective. He's assuming that Cain is going to live for a long time after this. So the implication would be that, yeah, Cain has to provide himself food during that time. So I don't think, you know, every time he put a seed in the ground, it just died on the spot. 
Mm. I think God would have helped give him, help provide, yeah, the bare essentials that he needed to get through. Mm. Actually, you know what? That would have helped when he had a wife, because then he can just go, That's hey, true. hey, Cain's wife, can you please plant the cross? <laughs> They'll yield fine for you, There's just not for you, me. Not, you're not cursed. <laughs> you're not cursed. It's just me, all right? Right. But, uh, and Cain's wife's like, oh, I don't really want him, but he goes, hey, hey, just think about this. No one can kill us because I got God ah. protecting me. Is this like so? We'll do a little trade off. You 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 get like insurance, mm. life insurance. I get food. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So you you plant the seed because mm. I can't do it. Not bad. Yeah. And while we're on the topic of Cain, do, do you think personally, as an opinion, do you think Cain will be saved, or do you think we can even know that? Well, I think what's. I, I don't think we can know with certainty. Uh, those, that's one of those things where it's not really. For us to kind of make decisions on, but just like to speculate as to whether Cain would or would not be, uh, I'd say maybe, because if we remember the analogy, the city of refuge is Jesus. That's right. So the implication there is that Jesus looked over the sins of Cain, um, and again, we always think that Cain's a really, really bad guy. Yeah. But he gets a bad rap because we only get one story of does, one thing in his life, mm. and it just happens to be the worst thing he does. And unfortunately, the other thing is that the sons of Cain, are, uh, they, they get increasingly more wicked. Yes. That would be my only kind of... Yeah. Mm. You're not sure which way, he, which direction he went. Exactly. I don't, I'm not sure where he ended up going in his yeah. life. So at this point, he was in the city. Whether he went out of the city and he left later on we in his know. life, we don't really know. Mm. But uh, I think that's an interesting point you raise. Because, well, Michael, if you could go back in time and... Uh, get rid of one evil person, you know, who who would you, who would you get rid of? The the typical answer is, oh, I'd kill Adolf Hitler. Hitler. Yeah. Mm. But is there anyone that you would kind of go, mm, nah, not a fan. The, the human history doesn't need X person. Um, um, hmm. Uh, maybe the person that invented the atomic bomb, you could argue that one. Ooh, although, interesting. Although the issue with that is then someone else would have created it. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's still an interesting one, though, because that, yeah, they, they have done quite the devastating, considering we've only dropped, like, what, two or three? Yeah. In yeah. human history? Mm. Yeah. This is my answer whenever I get asked that question. Go ahead. Uh, it's in chapter 4, verse 19, uh, and it's one of Cain's sons, sure. and his name is Lamech, and it says... But then, not, not the Lamech on the other side. Noah's father. No, not that Lamech. Okay. Uh, it says, Then Lamech took for himself two wives. Mm. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. Uh, and then in verse 23, he does a bit of a boast. He goes, Then Lamech said to his wives, Adam, uh, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Ooh, okay. Um, and my biggest problem with this guy is, he is the first person in human history to have two wives. Yep. He's the first person to start treating women like property. Yep. Um, and that just stuffs over humans for basically the rest of our history. Sure, okay. It, Interesting point. It, yeah. it sets us up for so much failure. Yeah. And we just, we, we don't get out of this idea of treating women like property for ages mm. um, and you could even argue from that from there we began to have this idea in our head well, oh, maybe not all humans are of equal value that's right, you, know, that's so right. If, you could argue that yeah, yeah. So, okay, so it starts off with hmm, maybe you know I can treat women as property and can have more than one of them and then maybe that could you know obviously lead to racism and things like that well if you know they have different pigment um you know, maybe that makes them lesser, and all these things begin to come out of this one little little bad idea that Lamech has that not all humans are equal, and mm. that he can that he can treat others below him mm. and beneath him. And uh, I, you know, obviously he didn't realize the profound impact he was going to have, but it's taken us thousands of years to get out of that bad mindset of treating people, of not treating people like people. It, it's it's honestly shocking how inhumanely humans have treated each other throughout our history mm. and just having to, yeah, having to figure out, <laughs> treat people like people. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's yeah. a bit crazy. So, look, <laughs> in my opinion, 
Lamech is responsible for half of <laughs> the problems yeah, that sure. we've had. Yeah. So yeah, it comes back to what you were saying. At the end of his life, how well did he raise his kids? Because I think that's one of his grandkids or maybe his great-grandchild. Mm, that's right. So you'd have to argue maybe not particularly well, maybe just as well as Eli. <laughs> yeah. And again, like, Eli, he seemed to be a fair enough guy. He yeah. goofed. You know, I'd say he's probably, you know, he's probably good. But yeah, I, I don't think we can know, but it'll be fun to find out, I, Definitely. I reckon. It'll Definitely. be fun to find out. Mm. And uh, so, Chris, do you uh, have any recommended readings for the, for the listeners at home? Yes. So, uh, I recommend this sermon by Ivor Myers. It's called The Avenger of Blood. Um, so, I kind of, uh, when I was doing my research, I borrowed uh, some ideas about Cities of Refuge and The Avenger of Blood from this really good sermon. So, all the stuff about Cain and Abel um, was uh, my own kind of thoughts. And then I integrated it with some stuff I'd heard from this really good sermon and kind of made it into its uh, own new thing. But, uh, like, this thing is about an hour-long talk, and I just did, you know, half an hour. So there is a lot of rich, really good content that I didn't go fully into mm. that Ivor goes into heaps. And even we didn't get to talk about it a bit uh, more today, I kind of went in a different direction again. But if you want to learn more about the ideas of Cities of Refuge... I'd recommend go and listen to that. So yeah, just go onto YouTube, mm-hmm. type in Ivor Myers, The Avenger of Blood. Alright, well, Mr. Godfrey, where can these people find you? Well, as always, you can find me on YouTube. Michael Godfrey is the name, and the link will be either in the description to this video, or it'll just be linked to the ASP. You can find me that way, and Chris, what about you? Where can we find you? You can find me every fortnight on the After Podcast, uh, but you can also find me on my YouTube channel, Christopher Peterson, that's spelled with an S-E-M. Thanks so much for joining us on the After Podcast. Remember that we are on iTunes and SoundCloud and YouTube and Podbean and basically anywhere where you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on our Facebook page, that way you get notified as to what sermon we'll be talking about next, and you'll have a whole week to listen to it before the after sermon. Once again, thank you so much for supporting us and for listening in with us. That concludes today's podcast, and we hope that you've been blessed as we've discussed prophetic blood, divine love. Make sure to come back in fortnight for another episode. Hey, fortnight. And with that said, have a good one, and good, good night. night.